Hey, it's Thomas Frank. I've just got a quick note for you before we get into the show. If you've been enjoying the Inforium or my videos over on YouTube, then you, my friend, should get Nebula. On Nebula, you get ad-free versions of both this podcast and my videos, along with exclusive stuff like extended versions of those videos. And it's not just our stuff that you're going to get. Dozens of other creators are on Nebula, including Ali Abdal, Wendover Productions, Braincraft, Tier Zoo, and lots more. Nebula gives us a chance to experiment, and since everything's ad-free, it's also the best way for you to get our content. Head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now. What's up? Oh, hey there. <laughs> I had so many ideas for how I would start this podcast, but yeah, my your, life has become a disaster doing? in the last, like, five minutes. You're a mess, Tom. I am a complete mess. Um, for those of you just joining us, who is everyone, actually, uh, I stupidly swung this microphone arm around, and it hit my coffee, and the coffee went all over my iPad, and... Well, I did just learn that uh, Apple builds good quality products that don't immediately die if you spill coffee on them. Yes, apparently. That's so. good. If that would have shorted out right before the episode recording, that would have not <laughs> been that great, honestly. <laughs> like dead iPad mini. Yay. Another expense to And, and it had to be something with like list. milk and stuff in it. Because the solids, when you spill like the, the non-transparent liquids, it's always a worse mess. I know, right? Had I spilled this... Like, like it would just no be big like deal. if you spilled tea, it what it would have done is it would have given a tasteful tea stain to the table. Yes, which honestly might not be that bad of an idea. It would just like look, imagine it would like just look nice building a table and then staining it with tea scented uh, lacquer or something. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe the smell would get old, but I can't help but thinking that would be actually kind of cool. I don't know if it'd get old. I think you'd just stop smelling it. That's true. I was expecting this to be green, but uh, it's not. It's like... No, it's got... If I'm understanding the mix right, it's hoji again, my cha, yes? So it's probably yeah. just hoji cha with the rice in it. And hoji cha is roasted and creates a brown tea. So wait, hoji cha is tea? Yes. And it's, the, it's green tea. It's just been genmai roasted. is just rice thrown in, basically? Yeah. Okay. So if it's I'm not like two types If of I'm not mistaken... Well, the Genmai Cha is usually the rice put in with regular Sencha, I believe. Oh, And I believe okay. that was done at one point in time to sort of expand the tea and make it cheaper for the everyday person. Because Sencha is pretty expensive, right? I don't know. Is maybe Sencha maybe it was like back then. It, it's, not, it's not expensive now. It's fine oh, now. Okay. But it, I think it might have been expensive a long time ago for the common folks, so it was better mm. to spread it out with rice. Maybe I'm completely wrong. But it doesn't matter because it turns out that it tastes delicious, and I don't care if it was originally made to be cheap or something. I I, I dig but, that. But actually. hoji cha is a more, a little bit of a sweeter brown tea. And then what were the origins? Because you said genmai cha was j- Japanese. Yeah, hoji cha is also Japanese. Oh, I thought one of these was Chinese for some reason. Nope. What's the one that we were talking about, like a few days ago, that was Chinese then? Uh, I mentioned that Chinese green teas are often pan fried as opposed ah. to Japanese ones being steamed. That's right. Yep. So does and, that give them like a more toasty and this one being flavor? roasted? Almost. Yeah, they they're all a little different, and you usually, if you if you're really specific, there are different temperatures and times that'll make them mm. each their best. Okay. So gotcha. like the average green tea instructions aren't necessarily the best for each distinct preparation of tea. Mm. Well, I just winged tea, it with this. Tea goes real deep. Oh, it tastes fine. I think it tastes pretty good. But then again, we're at altitude, and the bag doesn't even say a temperature. It just says well below boiling. So I just kind of default to 170. Yeah, I, I, I think, think this tastes decent. pretty good. I like hoji cha a lot. It reminds Sweet. me of mugi cha in a way, which is roasted barley. So it's this, the roasted oh. sweetness coming through that's making me think of it. I think it's the roasted sweetness that makes me like it. It's, a, it's a really nice taste, tea, I think. And I know you think it's weird that I think green tea has very little flavor. And I don't know if I'm describing it right. I think green tea has flavor and it's strong it's just a type of flavor that feels muted i, I think compared you would to have cinnamon liked or something really sweet or sour or something the green like tea i got in portland the the japanese company that makes it has very specific instructions for and mm-hmm. i followed those and i made like the best cup of green tea i've had in years so you may oh, yeah. like it prepared in that way because it was a much stronger flavor than you'll get if you follow the defaults gotcha so it's just that tea goes real deep. Anyway, this has been a mini lesson <laughs> on primarily Japanese teas, but yeah, really green tea. I in think general. that's how, like, that's ten percent of this podcast at this point is just nerding out about tea. 
I do love my and tea. sometimes coffee. Actually, I literally just put out a video today about coffee. Well, obviously, you all have coffee. Is that not what you spilled all over everything? I do love coffee. I love it enough to spill and ruin my electronics with it. If apparently. it were to short it out cartoon style, like smoke and it immediately breaks. Yeah. Well, so the video I did, I have heard like all throughout my life that coffee dehydrates you. And I've also heard this about... I've heard that about tea too, but I don't tea, know if I believe it. heard about beer. I've heard about Is like well, all alcohol. So I did a bunch of research on it and this was going to be like a whole hydration video. But this one question had enough research that it's going to take me hours to do. Oh yeah. And then I was like, well, this actually might be an interesting video on its own. So I did a little research and short answer, no, it will not dehydrate. Is, is it basically like it has some mild dehydrative properties, but it doesn't overwhelm the fact that it's mostly water? That's like, exactly Like what it is. this tea hydrates me a little less than if it was just water. That's exactly what it is. So the caffeine okay. in this tea is a diuretic, yeah. which basically all that means is it will increase the production of urine. Or in the case of alcohol, it can suppress... Oh, which, which, which lead to dehydration, Yeah, obviously. In the case of alcohol, and this is where my research is getting a little shaky because I was focused mainly on coffee, but it, in alcohol, I believe alcohol actually suppresses anti-diuretic hormones like vasopressin, which will increase so it's the even absorption. Worse, a little bit. I don't know if it's worse, but it's like, it's a similar effect. You okay. can either have a diuretic, which will increase that production of urine and, and oh, wait, fluid I loss, see. I see or you can saying. have something that it's clamps doing the down inverse on an anti-diuretic. Kind of. Yeah, which would increase ah. um, the absorption into the cells and things like that. So in any case, it will, in that aspect, have a fluid loss but it won't override the fact that this is it, it is made of lots like ninety nine percent water that we're drinking right now, so it's a yeah. net positive effect. And there was this whole study that was done with like thirteen different drinks where they made a whole index of how hydrating each beverage was, um, with the controlling water. And coffee was the worst, but it was like point eight eight out of oh yeah out of well. One. See, I feel like it would so, be obvious if it was a hundred percent dehydrated. If I drink this tea and I'm like, oh, I feel terrible now. Exactly. <laughs> like it, I would know because I drink a lot of tea. Yep. And that's the other thing, and I think it's going to be the main message of the hydration video, which is that your thirst response is, for the most part, the um, the metric that you should be going by, like the whole eight glasses a day or two liters a day or whatever. Those are just nice little like benchmarks or baselines that people put out there as something that's really easy to latch onto as a number. But in reality, it's if you're thirsty, you should drink water. Yeah. And there are very few exceptions. Now, there is one big exception that hasn't really come up in the research I've been doing, but I personally think it's a thing. And it's the um, I'm coding for six hours and forget the world exception. Which you probably yeah, get. Yeah, when so, you get into the flow state, it's yes. Really, that's one of the. That's how you know you're in it is when you forget to eat mm -hmm. or like drink things or move. Yeah. So I, I honestly think you can get so involved in work, and this happens to me, where you ignore hunger, you ignore thirst, you're just so into it, and because a lot of people are like that, I do think it is worthwhile to maybe have like a water bottle and just set a casual goal to drink one or two of those a day in addition to the tea or the coffee that you drink, stuff like that. Yeah, to keep a baseline in addition yeah. to your natural thirst. And then the other, the other research I was coming across was for intense hardcore athletes, especially people who are doing like marathon training or a lot of swimming or basically any kind of endurance sport where your heart rate is up for a long period of time. Um, in that case, your thirst response can be inaccurate and you can end up either dehydrated or overhydrated if you drink too much water. So that was like a little bit confusing hmm. to try to figure out a recommendation for. Apparently, sports have hydration plans because of that. So if you have like a, I don't know, a running coach or something, they may have an actual hydration plan. Nourishment and biology yeah. are really it's complicated. Tough. They got a lot of like caveats in every direction. Yeah. there. I mean, there's, there's a caveat uh, for everything all yeah, the time, ever. Every time. But I think for the normal person who isn't a marathon runner, it's pretty easy to say, drink when you're thirsty and... If you get lost in your work like I do, you know, maybe shoot for at least a liter bottle plus the tea and coffee you drink. Yeah. That's pretty reasonable and easy to follow, I think. Yeah. Anyway, after your mini lesson on both green tea <laughs> and hydration. Uh, yeah. I, I this suppose is what timestamps are for. This, this is, is what timestamps are the, for. Just skip this part yeah, if you Jeremy didn't like it. Yeah, can help you to skip over drink talk. <laughs> 
Um, so what we're talking about today uh, is <clears throat> ostensibly how to automate your life. And I think that's going to be uh, the main topic of this podcast, the whole like automation aspect. Yeah. But we were talking about this earlier and I remembered that there's like this model that goes around and there's always a bunch of different words for it. But essentially there's like a model um, of different choices you can take to either get tasks done or remove them from your life somehow. So that way you're either more efficient or you have more time to do things that are more important for yourself. And my favorite of these acronyms out there is uh, three D's in the A. So do, delegate, defer, or automate. And I think there's like the 4D model, which is like do, delegate, or no, sorry, not defer. Do, delegate, um, delete, and automate. And then some okay. people get rid of automate and they put defer in there. Yeah, but naturally there's like 50 versions. Yeah. But the, the point is this is what you do with mostly re- like repetitive tasks. Yeah. Things you really. keep finding you have to do. Yep. So if you're like, you know, you got to do laundry every week, uh, either do that or you could delegate it to someone else by paying someone to come do your laundry for you or you could automate it. I wouldn't defer I it for too long. I haven't automated <laughs> my laundry. I'm not exactly sure how I would do that. Well, not not everything has that great of an automation but, thing unless you're willing to pay a lot of money. Yeah. Well, I guess to a point, you could say that our laundry is very automated versus how it used to be before. Yeah, we've already done the automation. It doesn't. Yeah. But you just have to put it in. So I don't know if you could somehow invent some amazing folding machine. There would be an automation for you laundry. Can get, there are like those little things that you like put the shirt on and you just it folds over at a certain line and it auto folds stuff. I saw it on oh. TV once. It's not really auto, but it makes the, the folding that... process fast for people who are bad at it. I don't know oh, if it's okay. necessary. I'm good at folding. Oh, okay. But I also continue to fold my own laundry and have done so for years. So I don't know. And unlike you, I do my laundry every week. Yeah. I I, th- <laughs> I know for you, laundry is like a traumatic experience. Well, <laughs> that's like because uh, I run out a lot. And uh, usually I find this out. For example, I'm wearing the last pair of clean pants today, right now, and and if I had not had a pair, I would have been in trouble. But luckily, I only have I did. one pair of pants. Well, I'm like very technically, picky. I have some jeans that no longer really fit me that are there as like emergency backups. But I wear one pair of jeans. Oh, well, I'm I'm very picky. Fair enough about my clothes. You also have like weird colored jeans. Well, just your this jeans one. are maroon right now. So and, yeah, well, but then I got like the gray a bluish ones. gray. I got I got jeans? blue. I got gray, and I got these like reddish maroon ones yeah i just have this one pair mixing it up what i do is inevitably i rip my jeans doing something stupid or the last time doing literally nothing they just ripped from sitting down and then i have to go buy a new pair all right spongebob yes i'm basically spongebob that's the moral of this episode (laughs) okay so aside from automating uh laundry which we can't automate very well yeah uh you you've got a lot of things going on that are automated right yeah that's what inspired this yeah, automation episode. has always been something that I've been very fascinated by. So I wanted to do this episode so we could just kind of like talk about some of the automations we've built into our lives. Yeah. But I kind of wanted to preface it with if you're trying to figure out how to make something in your life more efficient, it would be good to ask yourself like which of the four could you yeah. do? It's not always automation. Because for you, I think delete is the first thing that comes to mind. It, how can it I just remove this from my life is. entirely? Yeah. Whereas I'm like, the engineer and I'm like, Oh, I want to keep it, but I'll just automate it somehow. And I think our, our living spaces reflect that difference. Yeah. This is one of the few <laughs> things on which we like philosophically diverge most of the time. Cause usually we agree cause mm-hmm. we're, we're open-minded to being wrong and we're like, that seemed logical. But on this, it's like a really, do you prefer simplicity and yeah. fewer things or like a complicated Rube Goldberg machine? Well, this is one of those cases where you can't really be right or wrong. Yeah, it's it's like, more of a preference. I can't be like, oh, you're wrong for living simply. You just like to live more simply. Yeah. And I have every square inch of wall covered in some crazy thing in this room. And I love that. Yes. I like really complex, intricate things. And I don't know, that just is fun for me. But I don't like having to set things up all the time. So what I wanted to kind of do with this whole idea of automation is just tell a few stories of things that we've automated. And then I have a little bit of stuff near the end of the episode where we can talk about like how to know when you should automate something versus when it's not worth the time, that yeah. kind of thing. But I don't know if there's like a whole lot of value in trying to tell people how to automate things because every 
everything you're going to want to automate will have a different process. Yeah, it's it's really kind of in, in the inspiration of examples like, oh, I never thought about automating that. So now yeah. maybe I'll think about automating other things I never thought about. Yeah, exactly. I guess the one general idea. This is the problem idea, solving exercise. Exactly, yeah. The one general idea I can express about automation is that if you have a task, you're probably not going to automate the entire task. But what you're going to do is break that down into individual steps and then see, can I automate that step? Yeah. So there are certain things that you can automate all together, like um, any bill I pay is automated. All uh, of them? Can, all of them now. Are, are basically all bills able to do that? Yes. Um, I know when I guess we, rent when we can lived do that, right? in, back in Iowa, we couldn't automate rent because there was some offset they gave us for the power bill. Like I think anything above a hundred bucks in the power bill was able to be taken off of our rent. Oh, so yeah. I had to do the math every month to see what I should sh- uh, send in for the rent check. But now it's not like that. Now it's just, here's what you owe in rent. And that includes all your utilities. So I automate that. Yeah. Um, one thing that I used to be a little wary about with automating bills was credit cards because I was so paranoid about uh, missing a payment and having my credit card dinged. But then I thought about it and I was like, actually there's a greater probability of me messing up once and forgetting to manually pay it than to just set up the automation. And I guess I was always afraid of like the, the automation paying my bill when I didn't have enough money in my checking account or something. Oh yeah. That's why but I haven't done anything like that. That's actually, so an easy I move problem it around different accounts. So I'm like, yeah. I need to pull it from the right one, but that's actually an easy problem to solve. And I've been, I have had the solution to that problem in practice for years. I just never applied it because with my investments, I do that. And my investments pull from my savings account and they do it automatically. So every time I get the little email, like, oh, your betterment has, you know, your automatic betterment deposit has happened. I'm like, okay, I should probably go into my bank and check to make sure that there's enough in that account for the next time. And I know the amount. Now, I guess the one difference is like with a credit card, I don't know the amount automatically. I I don't know. It's always going to be the exact same because I pay the full balance, but I've kind of, I've kind of started to understand about where it's going to be. And really the, the solution is, okay, just make sure you have like well above that in the checking and then you're good. And really my only, the only things that ever come out of my checking account are rent and then that. Yeah. Yeah. For Christmas, I paid off my car. Oh, nice. So that's done. Yeah. Unless I decided to get a new car at some point. But I was sitting there with Christmas. I was looking at my budget. And I was like, I could leave this money in my checking account and just pay the last few months off slowly. But I kind of want to be debt free again. Paid off. To be debt free. It was nice. Yeah. I know the math doesn't work out because with a low interest rate on a car payment, like you could uh, make arguably more money. you could have invested in something, something, yeah. something. But there's a psychological benefit that you can't put an exact price on. There very much is. Because now I'm just like, oh, cool. Now I know that $500 is not going to be taken out of my account every month for the car payment. Yeah. I can do something else with that. I can invest that if I want to. So that is taken care of. Um, but with a lot of other things, it is just kind of a process of automating little tiny parts. So good example, when I started making videos, I would set up the whole thing every single time. Like this was way back when we lived in Ames. But I had built lights out of Home Depot parts, um, just like bought the light bulbs. Actually, all the lights that are sitting around the room, like the really janky looking ones, those are the old lights that I started with. And I didn't want them sitting up in my room all the time because it was still my bedroom. So I would yeah. fold them down and put them behind a chair and I would put the camera away. So every single week when I made a video, I'd have to set it up and frame the shot perfectly and get the lights exactly where I wanted them and then position the mic. So, you got a lot of overhead. Yeah, there's a lot of overhead. There's probably 15 minutes of setup before I can start filming. So I started thinking, how can I automate that? Well, the first and most obvious parts were keep the lights up all the time. Um, and then eventually I was like, I want to keep the mic up all the time, but I also use that mic to podcast. So sometimes part of automation means buying duplicate equipment. So now we have the mic that's up there for the videos. And then we have these mics for podcasts. Yeah. They have different purposes. Um, and that's that kind of comes into the calculation of like, all right, I'm have I have to spend money on a new microphone. Does the time savings I get justify the spending? And I think 
when you're doing this professionally week over week over week, it does justify it. Yeah. I think so. Um, and then we got a little fancier when we moved here. Oh, yeah. There's and a really fancy part, part but I'm afraid to say it. Well, don't say it too I'm loud. only afraid to say <laughs> it because I don't I don't think it can hear us because it's way out in the living room and the door is closed. Uh, but I'm afraid to not. say it because people might be listening to this in the presence of their own device. Oh, let's just say there's an Amazon device we have, with a name that we're not going to say. I'm just going to say the Echo. I just uh, won't okay. say I won't okay. say the name that you say because I've I've been listening to other podcasts where the hosts will say the name of uh, Apple's fun little automation assistant that I'm also and not going to say. It'll just stop your and it phone. Stopped, and, yeah, <laughs> it stops my podcast in the middle of driving somewhere. So thanks, Gray. I don't think Gray listens to this podcast, but it was his fault. He did it. <laughs> too much automation in that case. It is too Accidental much automation. consequences. Yeah. So we got the Echo, and I was like, what if I could build a studio that at a single voice command, everything could come on and be ready to film? And that is basically what we've built. So the way we did it is we got like these little, they're called the TP-Link uh, Smart Plug Mini, I think. Yeah. And they're not like super cheap. Each one's like 30 bucks a pop. But I think we only needed two for this room. So we have one back there that controls um, the camera that we use for podcasting. And it controls all the lights that are at, up here. So not the background lights, but the film lights. Okay. And one thing I will mention here is that obviously if you're going to run all of your lights off of one plug, you want to make sure that the voltage those lights are putting out or the wattage, I can't remember which one it is. I think it may be the I'm wattage actually. Engineer. You want to make sure the wattage is not going to overload that outlet. Otherwise you have a fire hazard. Um, but luckily every light in this studio is LED. So it takes barely any electricity at all. So it's fine to have daisy chained. Um, at least as far as I know, it's fine to have daisy we'll chain cords in there. I mean, we've been using this for a very long time. Yeah. You know, and it's on a surge projector as well. But I definitely would not recommend having a bunch of very high power usage, like incandescent lights all in one outlet. Probably not the best of ideas. But we do have all the lights there. Um, and then I got this this sound recording box for my camera. Because another thing that has always been a kind of annoying part of the process is that I recorded audio separately from the video, which technically we're doing right now because yeah. our podcast camera broke. Well, that's the, the automation broke because that one little thing. <laughs> yep. Sometimes automations break. Um, Relies on technology. But what that means I have to do is I have to go take the better sounding audio file that the computer is recording right now. And then I have to sync it up perfectly with our mouth movements on the video. And I did that for years with my YouTube videos. And then I just started thinking, like, is there a way that I can get the really good quality audio from the good microphone right onto the camera so I never have to do that again? Yeah. And there is. So I got this little box. It's called a Mix Pre 3. And I just have it mounted right on my tripod. And then it just goes right to the camera. And that is also plugged into the same Echo device that turns on. And then back here, we have one more of those little plugs yeah. that plugs into this light. And then these lights are Philips Hue lights. So um, you can I, already control those from like your phone and, yeah. and the Echo can control them too, yes? Yeah, basically the way that works is all these lights connect to a hub that comes with the light kit. And then the hub is on your Wi-Fi network and there's an integration yeah. for Echo. You don't need a special plug. They're already there. Exactly, yeah. So then within Echo, you can create what are called groups. And groups can involve basically any device on your network. So I just created a group called Video Set, and it has the backdrop and all these lights and then all the lights and the cameras and everything. So basically, I can say the name of the thing, <laughs> turn on Video Set, and boom, everything is on. Everything's ready to go. All I have to do is hit record, and I can have a video. Yeah. Uh, it was so cool the first time that it like worked, too. It was like Star Trek. It's amazing. <laughs> So that was really nice. And also being able to not have to sync my audio every single time is very nice. So this might sound really complicated. And to be fair, it is. Well, it's a video set. Not everybody has to deal with a video set with a bunch yeah. of lights and two mics and a bunch of nonsense. It's a video set. But the main point is this was built over many years. I started YouTubing in 2014. So it's just like every single week something will catch my eye and I'll think, could I do that better? Yeah. 
And I, I really think that this is the core idea of this episode is asking yourself, could I do that better? Or having the idea in your head that there's always a better way. Yeah, like, oh, this has kind of annoyed me a little bit. Yes. Every time I've done it, and I've had to do it four times now, am I going to have to do it in the future? Looks like probably. Mm-hmm. So how do we make that better for the future me? Yeah. So you just ask yourself a question. Could I somehow automatically turn on all these lights? Well, yeah, I could put them all into one plug strip. Okay, is there a way I could um, turn the plug strip on without having to like contort my body behind the, the de- dresser oh, back yeah, there? Yeah. Well, my first solution to that was to go out and buy one of those $10 uh, remote outlet things. So you can go to Walmart, you can get it. It's just a little remote. It's just got three buttons on it. And then it comes with a three pack of little go-betweens that go into the outlet. And then you plug in something else into that. And then the remote can turn it on and off. So that's what I use for the most part up until very recently. Uh, And then I got the idea of what if it was like a super elegant setup where it was all based through that Amazon device. Uh, and the reason I have that for the most part actually is because in our apartment, and this is probably an issue a lot of people face, there's no overhead central lighting in the living room. And that's, a lot of- That's par- always weird. I don't know why me. apartments do it. This is where everybody's going to be sitting. Yes. Nope. No yeah. lights for you. And they, they put lights in the dining room and they put lights in the kitchen. Maybe they just think nope. everybody's got their own special lamps that they're going to bring in, which may be that, true. That may be the case. But I'd yeah. like a default. Yeah. But they don't give you that. So- um, our living room being as big as it is, we needed several different lamps to light it properly, and they're all in different corners. So when I moved in, every time I wanted to turn the lights on in the living room, I was rushing around the living room, flipping on oh, a bunch yeah. of switches for four or five different yeah, lamps. Because even when they have the plugins that work with the light switches, it's usually like one. Yeah. And if they're on different corners, you can, yeah, you can turn one over. on with a switch, but the rest you got to run to. Yeah, and I didn't want cords running across the carpet or anything like that. Yeah. So it has to be elegant. That's another thing for me. I, I want an elegant solution. I don't want something that's like actually Rube Goldberg-y with the, I don't no, know. Duct tape solutions. Hamster and a wheel. Are, are for last minute going. code. They're for <laughs> nothing else. <laughs> or they're for filming really cool scenes, The like the Back to the yeah. Future yeah. intro. That is a pretty cool scene. But I don't think I would ever create a weird Rube Goldberg machine to make my toast. Yeah. I could put the toast in the toaster. <laughs> Um, but we got all those little smart plugs for the living room. So now you can just go in and tell Amazon thing to turn the lights on and just, it's great. And it feels like Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's an example of my most recent automation. And I do want to talk about my favorite automation story, but you actually automated something pretty cool with our podcast details. Oh yeah. And I was actually curious about how you did that. So if you can if you can explain it in a way that doesn't involve like going line by line through code. Oh, I'll, I'll let me just <laughs> we got like a we got like a left curly brace. We got some other characters. I think it's UTF8. I'll PHP double check. Underscore <laughs> yeah. regex underscore. No, it's uh <laughs> so basically for the the this is what 194 uh, is that the episode we're yes, on? Yes, it is 194. So for this episode, the show notes are at cigpodcast.com slash 194. That's at a separate domain, though, so it wasn't easy at first. I had I logged into a separate domain initially yeah. and manually put in this. Well, first, there was a cool short link generation thing that I wrote on there where you could type in this number equals this URL. It'll redirect automatically. So that was one piece of automation. But mm-hmm. then... Every week, I'd have to log into that separately. I, I write the post, I upload the episode, then I got to log into this entirely different thing over here to set up this little short link. Yeah. And it's a small step. It's not that big of a deal. But the the mental weight of having to balance all these steps, it's like one more thing I might forget. Yeah, it's And an I did forget thing. it sometimes. And then I noticed the next week and I was like, oh, I guess I hope nobody tried to click that link. Yep. So then I was like, how do, how do I fix this? Because it's already automated a little, but it could be better. Mm-hmm. So... Even though it was relatively small and took under five minutes to do, I feel so good after doing it. And right now, what happens is the main site, every time we publish or update one, it will like check the title of the episode, automatically understand what number it is, yeah. grab the URL at the same time, create a nice uh, array of variables, and then the other domain looks to that to update it. So like and everything it happens it. by itself. If you public, if you updated one of the old episodes right now, changed the number that was in there, it would immediately update a cached yeah. array of lists or a cached array of links 
And so it's like super simple. It doesn't call the database all the time. And now I've saved, yes, like five minutes every week, but, but it's every, I don't have to think about it at all. Yeah, it's it's not even week. in my thoughts. And, yeah, exactly. and mental resources are far more limited at any given time mm-hmm. than other stuff. And you did that with some other podcast details as well. But because we're using my backup camera right now, which can only record for 30 minutes, oh, yes, we're going yes. to go to the ad break right now we so I can get up and turn the camera on again. This week's episode is sponsored by Mission U. And I am really excited about this sponsor because I had the opportunity to talk with their founder on my other podcast a little while ago. And I am frankly, very excited about what they are doing. So basically, Mission U is a different approach to higher education, one that is much more career-focused and one that is designed for the way that the world is going, to be honest. It is a one-year program that currently is focused on data analytics, which is a very fast-growing field um, that has a lot of high-paying positions. And the great thing about Mission U's program is that there is no upfront tuition whatsoever. Basically, the way that they make their money is that once you graduate from their program and once you are making $50,000 a year, they take 15% of your salary for three years, which basically creates a different kind of incentive structure for them because Mm. now they're basically investing in you and your success rather than charging you up front and taking the money right away. So I think that's pretty cool and uh, pretty a cool approach to higher education because now like they are focused on helping you succeed and their bottom line is affected by your post-graduation success, not your ability to pay for it up front. And from the student point of view, the best thing about that is that you graduate debt-free. There's no possible way for you to be crushed by student loan debt because they're just taking a percentage of your earnings, and they're only doing that once you hit a certain salary um, Oh, cool. They've got like a, like a floor, too? Yeah, that's really cool. The other thing I love about Mission U is that they are totally focused on career readiness. And that's why this program is for people who are already ready to get into the working world. Maybe they have a little bit of experience, um, but it's somebody who's got a pretty driven and focused approach to to getting into it right now, basically. So right now the program, as I said, is focused on data analytics and it's basically broken into three different trimesters. So in the first trimester, you're focused mainly on the soft skills, which is really important. Things like communication, things like collaboration, critical thinking. These are all skills that employers constantly rate as their most desired skills. Honestly, I think I read a a study once that, uh, or a survey once that put the job skills, like the technical skills down at like number seven and they wanted communication. They wanted uh, leadership and adaptability much more than they cared about the job skills individually. During that first trimester, there's also a little bit of technical education on things like Excel and Python. Then you move into the second trimester, which is a much heavier emphasis on the technical skills. You'll go into Python and SQL programming. Um, And the cool thing about trimester two is that you're working with real data sets from real companies. So I remember in some of my classes in college, we were just working with like made up data, which is fine to a point. But when you're working with a real data set, you know that you're getting something that is much more analogous to a real world situation, you know, and you're going to have to solve problems that are more close to what you'll solve in a real job. Hmm. And then in the third trimester, Um, you will do an internship with a partner company that partners with Mission U and they partner with Uber and Lyft and many other tech companies. And this is the part I really love. They have six full weeks of job search support where they will intensely train you on interview, on uh, resume writing and cover letters, all the parts that you need to do to actually get a job. And this is amazing because when I was in college, there was, there was definitely a career support, but a lot of it was like, you had to be proactive as a student to go get it. And yeah. they didn't really force you to, to do a lot of these things. They I never forced you to do to a class kind of. Yeah. And I, I always wish that like everyone had to do a mock interview. Well, with mission, you, you actually do that. So if you are interested in checking out mission, you, um, basically the way that you apply first, you'd tell them about yourself and they have a merit-based process. So it doesn't mean that you have to have a a perfect GPA or a perfect high school class score. Um, basically, they're giving you the opportunity to show your individual skills, your character, the experience you have already, even stuff that you've done on your own. And then you'll move into an admissions challenge. So that's an open internet series of questions to demonstrate your problem solving abilities. And that takes basically less than an hour. That's very similar to how I got my web development job and, and when I was in college, because I wasn't honestly qualified on paper for it, but they gave me a test. They gave me the uh, the opportunity to learn how to solve the problems 
and that ended up getting me the job. From there, you move on to a group challenge where you meet other applicants and you compete. Uh, you complete a 45-minute team-based challenge. And then finally, there's an individual interview where you meet with somebody from the Mission U admissions and you learn more about their program. You work through some brief exercises and then you can answer any of the questions that you might have left over. So I am honestly really excited to be working with Mission U. And if you want to learn more about their program and get $500 upon your completion of that one-year program, you can go over to missionu.com slash CIG to learn more. Once again, that's missionu.com slash CIG to get $500 upon completion of that one year program. Big thanks to Mission U for sponsoring this episode and let's get back into it. And we're back and hopefully we'll have a fixed camera maybe next week. I don't know. Yeah, hopefully. Well, I had to RMA that unit that lets us use the other camera, but then I just realized like if I'm going to get a refund, I could just buy a different unit. I don't know. I need to ask them if they'll actually give me a refund or if they're going to take the time to ship me a different one. Yeah. In which case, we just have to use this. I don't know. It gives me exercise. It's, it's a, see, a duct tape solution's okay when it's a temporary yeah. situation. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. need to be elegant if you only have to do it a couple times. But yeah. once you see yourself doing it forever, that's when it makes sense to make it better. There's actually a really good uh, chart out there that we're, I want to talk about in a little bit on like how to figure out when cool. it's a good idea to automate. But So actually, I hadn't thought about that short link thing you were talking about. What I was thinking about I were, forgot about the other thing I automated. Yeah. So I don't know. Some people listening to this have probably used WordPress before. Yeah. But when you make a new blog post in WordPress, which we do to make show notes, you have to go in and you have to put a title in. You have to change the URL slug to what you want it to be. You have to go in and choose a, what's a category. Yeah. We've got tags. some custom variables and stuff yeah. that we've got to fill in too for podcast episodes. Yeah. And ba- so there's all these tiny little, you know, itty bitty tasks. And then you figured out a way to literally automate most of them. Yeah. And now, I have no idea how you did that. So that's what I was actually curious one, about. One thing at a time. Just like, like I used to do this when I ran Linux. I wanted to create a program that randomly changed. I had a multiple desktop thing going on and I had the mm-hmm. cool 3D box where you could see through all of them. Oh, I remember that. And, and I was like, here's yeah. what I want. I want each wallpaper to randomly be one of these Pokemon wallpapers, mm-hmm. which I How kn- many did you have? Like all 150? All, all of them from like the... Wait. Is it, is it Ken Sugimori who made the defi- de- default art? I don't remember. Who's Ken Sugimori? I think he does the basic uh, Pokemon art. Oh, okay. For of, all of the, the generations? Specific sti- yeah, there was like that specific art style for each of them. I think that's his name. Sorry so was if it I'm like, wrong. Was it like a tiled wallpaper of like all Bulbasaurs or something? It was one big one. Oh, okay. Each, each individual Pokemon was its own wallpaper and was illustration. Was it really pixely then? No. No, they were good. They were good oh, quality. Oh, it, it was like the high quality It's ones. like the okay. ones you'd find in the, in the game guides. Those ones. Okay. Those illustrations. So you had like hundreds so of them. I had all of those. So the first step to automating something like that was I was like, okay, I want to do this. Um, first, can I change the wallpaper with a program in, in the command line, which is where I do a lot of my automation? Yeah. The answer is yes, I can. I figure out step one. Okay, two. How do I use random? How do I pick from a random string of stuff? Okay, I figured that out. Now I just make a random string of the wallpaper, and now I can do it. I can type in a command that randomly picks a wallpaper. Now, how can I make this run every time I log in? Can I do that? And then I solve that step, and then I say, okay, but how can I double-check to make sure I don't get the same Pokemon on any of the desktops? Very so important. So it's, it's one step at a time, because if you try to solve this all at once, it's overwhelming. You improve yeah. it slowly. Yeah, exactly. So with the podcast thing, it was first like, the first step for me to know it's a podcast is it's got the category podcast. Mm-hmm. If you save that, first I had to figure out how can I hook into that process? How can I make it check, is this a podcast when I save? Then, okay, how do I alter the main text box so that I can stick in our template for the podcast show notes automatically? Yeah. Okay, how can I insert into this box and this box and then the Yoast SEO box? How do I get into that one? So one little variable at a time, I solved how to do it. And then I hooked it all in to where when it checks for a podcast, it does that. And mm. then I had to think about, okay, check if there's data there first. Don't override anything. Yeah. And then I had to figure so like, out how to parse the title. To make number. sure it wouldn't do it on a previously made episode. Yeah, because yeah, okay. it happens anytime you update it as well. You can't separate the publish from the update. It's like, does WordPress see that as the same thing? I wanted it to do both because oh, if, if yeah. we've got a draft in there, or if I go and make a bunch of drafts for if, the next like if 10 we episodes. change the title number yeah. or something, 
I wanted it to automatically update that too. Oh, because part of your process goes and grabs the number from the title yeah. and then uses that to generate the, the show notes link? Yeah. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So let's say so we like didn't know what number that it previous was. previous automation and like duct taped it onto this one? Yeah. Nice. It's like, it's, it's, I, I really liked doing this. But basically, all the automation when it comes to the programming stuff is you got to solve one tiny question at a time. Otherwise, if I said to myself, hey, Martin, automate all of that, how do you do it? I'd be like, I don't, I don't even know if I can get all of yeah. those pieces. But you don't find out you can get 90% of the pieces mm-hmm. until you do it one at a time. I think it's good to think like a programmer. And one of the things they taught me in programming class when I was in college was to write out like pseudocode yeah. before you actually code. So instead of literally doing like if bracket and stuff like that, you're just writing, okay, uh, this stage, write code that can tell that this is a podcast using podcast category. And then like step two, okay, now if that happens, then fill in this box with this detail or grab this variable from over here. Yeah. Because then you basically given yourself a to-do list and all you need to do is go solve each problem step by step. Yeah. And another big programming philosophy is uh, dry, don't repeat yourself. And unfortunately, this process, while not directly a program, was me repeating myself a lot to paste in a template, to put in the default value that I could calculate, to to put in all this stuff that was just me following a very blatant list. A computer could do this. Mm -hmm. So a computer should do this. Yeah, exactly. And you bring up a good point there, like pasting things in in areas and making templates and stuff like that. Automation doesn't necessarily mean that you are literally writing a program or that you have to know how to code or that you're building a machine. It just means that you are essentially eliminating certain steps of a process or you're bundling them into one thing. Yeah. You're you're doing some some pre-legwork so that way you can create things later on very fast. It's a really good example for my video making process. Every single time I make a video, I have a note in Evernote that has several different sections. There's like a section for titles because I want to brainstorm lots of titles. There's a section for notes. There's a section for um, research links. There's a section for like graphic links and stuff like that. There's a section for sponsor details that they're going to, if the episode is sponsored. And I don't want to be typing out each of these sections every time. So I now just have an entire notebook in Evernote called Evernote called uh, templates. Yeah. And one note in there is just called video template. So every time I want to make a new video, I go grab that and I paste it into the note for the video. That way I can just start typing. Yeah, and so even, even that, that is is like you're reducing overhead. Even though a computer didn't do it, it's mm-hmm. still very helpful just to have a template. And that's simple. Yeah, exactly. I almost wonder if like mise en place in cooking is a form of automation because it's, it's kind you're of getting you're, you're reducing out. the overhead yeah you're reducing all these overhead steps or i don't know you can like have like a mise en place note on your refrigerator so now you don't have to go through the mental process of remembering yeah, all what stuff steps. do you need yeah well one thing i did recently and this has been oh so helpful and it may be helpful for you to do these things um making a video has so many tiny little steps to it like so many like in the editing process, I have to go in and make sure that every layer has motion blur turned on. So that way when there's a transition, it's nice and blurred instead of choppy looking. And I have to go make sure to put the music in there. And I have to make sure to punch things in sometimes or color grade the footage. Um, and then like uploading to YouTube is even more fiddly. You got to remember end cards and tags. And I got to remember to credit the editors if they edited the video and there's like all these boxes to check and I got to remember to go get the closed captions so people who don't speak English natively or, you know, who have hearing problems can read the captions. Yeah. It's so hard to remember all these things. But if you have a template, you don't have to. So the frustrating thing for a long time was it, any to-do app that I used made it really hard to actually make like a template. Like you can do it in uh, Asana, but... Asana is kind of slow and clunky for projects that have like a lot of to-do items. Yeah. Because I made a template for video recently. It's 63 items. I don't want to go through Asana for that. Asana is kind of slow. Um, and that's for copying tasks. Now, Asana does have a feature where you can literally make a project template. But one, we don't really use Asana in that way where there's a project for one video like videos yeah, it doesn't is the fit project. Into our information yeah. like architecture. And that's because we have so many people working for us. Like it just wouldn't it would be very unwieldy and messy looking. Yeah. And then every other thing I used, it was like you can't really just make a template. But what I discovered recently is Todoist 
does let you make templates. Now, I do want to make a public and humble request to do this right now because right at the moment, their template system is a little inelegant because the way you do it is you basically just build a project. You put in all your tasks and then you can export it as a template. But what that does is that just gives you a CSV file to download, which is not the worst thing in the world. I just now remember, okay, the video um, project template for Todoist is a CSV file that lives in our default project folder for every video. That's easy enough. But it would be really nice if Todoist had a natively built templating system. Like a little library of your yeah. CSVs, but it's on their back end. You don't ever yeah. have to manage it would the just, file. It would be nice if there was like a little tab within Todoist that says templates. And you go in there and, okay, now you can spawn a new instance of your video production template or maybe it's like essay writing template so you know to document your sources you know to check over your work a few times like all these things that are repeatedly done it's really nice to be able to just instantly spawn a template so I can just tick down the boxes but I can physically tick them but then have the template copy not being ticked so that way it's there for the next time I use it that's a perfect example of a little bit of overhead that's like one little thing Yes. And, and it's possible to improve the one little thing. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's worth so much more than you'd think because it's a small thing, but it adds up over time. It really does. And I mean, in this case, it could be the difference between, you know, forgetting something important. Yeah. So not only is it a little less frustration, I will actually always remember the important things that are little details now, you know, and I've tried to automate them for the most part. Like, Within YouTube, when you're uploading, you can choose like the video location and the recording date and all these little fiddly details. And the nice thing is there's a channel default section, so you can just set all those defaults. Oh, nice. But a lot of the things you can't, and for those things, the templates are very, very useful. Um, and this isn't exactly a template, but another thing that I did recently was in my recipes notebook in Evernote, for like certain really complicated recipes... I built out documents that explain the whole process. So that way, I don't know if this is an example of automation so much as just building a process so that my brain doesn't have to think its way through things that are going to make me inefficient. Yeah. Like, I guess I'm, I'm taking some time beforehand to establish the order of things that need to be done. So that way, every time I make that dinner, I don't have to sit there and plan it out in my head. Because basically, like, I don't know, it takes 10 minutes to steam broccoli it takes 25 minutes to roast carrots. You know, it takes 22 minutes to make salmon. Having to think of those things every single time means that there's now a planning stage to every dinner. But if you write it out, you have just eliminated the planning stage. Yeah. Which if, you know, sometimes you want that. Sometimes you want to cook something new and impressive and challenging and that's great. But sometimes it's like, I want to make a healthy dinner and I don't have that much time. So... I can go to my Evernote notebook and just grab something and execute on it. Yeah. Really easily. Um, okay. So I want to tell my favorite automation story then. What do we got? My favorite one, because this, this made me feel so accomplished. Um, and I think it was, it was so contrary to the expectations of my bosses at the oh, time. Yeah. So when I was a sophomore, yeah, when I was a sophomore in college, I landed an internship at this big, huge financial company and uh, I graduated that year. I didn't graduate. I finished that year, and I went to work for them in the summer. And my job there was basically blocking Facebook for everyone. Like, I was in the network team, but my specific role was basically changing firewall rules. So that was my normal job. And then one day, my boss comes up to me, and he's like, Thomas, I have a special project for you. Um, but you're not going to like it, and I'm sorry <laughs> in advance. I'm really sorry about this. And he proceeds to tell me that basically there's this control panel tool they have that lists like all the servers. I don't know if they're all the servers in the company, but there were hundreds of them. And he's like, basically, we need to make a small configuration change to every server. So you're going to have to click on a server. And then I don't even remember what the changes were, but it basically amounted to checking or unchecking a couple of radio boxes and then hitting a drop down menu and choosing a certain item and hitting save. So seems pretty easy, but I think it was 800 servers. That's gross. And he said, the worst part is that this tool takes about 30 seconds to a minute 
to load the list of servers after you've saved the change <laughs> in one of them. So I'm sitting there doing the math in my head. And I'm like, okay, 30 seconds to a minute plus the probably five or 10 seconds to make the changes plus however many seconds it takes to load it after I click a server times 800. And it came down to being like either one or two full days of work just clicking the same thing over and over again. And my brain was like, no, I'm not doing this. I don't care if I'm doing the grunt work. I don't care if I'm the intern. This is not happening. Uh, of course, I didn't say this to my boss because I wasn't like, I can't just quit. I can't just say no, but there has to be a better way to do it. Yeah. Um, in college, I had come across this, this open source program called Sekuli Script. And basically what this does is it allows you to take screenshots of your computer and then write Python script around it. So I did a little bit of trial and error and I just took screenshots of exactly what the configuration looked like before I made the changes. And then I took screenshots of where the mouse should move and what it should click. And then all I had to do, because the server names were just IP addresses that incremented up by one each time, oh, nice. was just write a little incrementer. Like do this, hit save, okay. Now you've finished the program, we're going to increment that variable up by one and uh, then it just went through and did all of it. So once I got the program working, I let it go. And because it takes over your desktop, I couldn't really do more work. So I just used my second monitor to watch Netflix all day. <laughs> <laughs> and at the end of, I, I think it was two work days because it does it in real time. Like it's not like you can speed up the process when it's using screenshots yeah, and mouse position. It's just pretending it's a human doing yeah, the same thing. It's being a human. Um, I went to my boss and I was like, hey, I'm done. And I also watched Iron Man 3 or something like that. And uh, he was pretty impressed. So that's my favorite automation story. Yeah. It's it's my proudest one so far. And with 800 things like that, it was definitely worth it. It was, Yeah. I would have gotten carpal tunnel from that probably. Yeah. Now, so. now, granted, I would like to point out there, there are several things I could have learned to automate even just last year recently. But if it's a very small amount of things and it's not 800 things, sometimes you don't want to automate it because mm -hmm. the time you invest in learning how to automate it will take more time than this one time small task. So then yeah. you just do the grunt work and yeah. you say, whatever, it's going to be done. There's a really good XKCD comic about this, which I wanted to talk about. I'm going to bring it up so I can actually reference it. Cool. Uh, it's called, is it worth the time? And we will have this in the show notes for people who want to look at it. But basically it's this chart that he made for how long you can work on making like a routine task more efficient before you're spending more time than you save. Oh, cool. Uh, and his is across five years. So on the top of the graph, there's like, how often do you do the task? And maybe 50 times a day, five times a day, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. And then how much time do you save with the automation you're building? One second up to one day at several different increments. And from there, you can just go in and see, all right, if you do the task every day and you shave off one minute by making it more efficient, then you could spend up to one day working on your automation. Oh, he's got like time. a legit formula in there. Yeah. Nice. This is, this is over five years of work. So I don't know how many processes I'm going to be doing five years from now that I've automated. Who knows? I don't, I don't think I'll be making videos in this bedroom studio in five years. Yeah, I don't really have any idea what five years from now is like. What a hard question for people to constantly ask people. That's true. I have no idea. Like, given my previous experience of what I was doing five years ago, it, I, I would say it's more probable than not that I wouldn't be making, like, YouTube videos regularly in five years. Well, just, and that yeah, five seems years depressing. Ago, and five years before that, those are, yeah. that's like an entirely different life. That seems really depressing. Like, oh, you're going to stop making videos at some point. But, like, five years ago, I was 21, so I was still in college or maybe just graduating and I guess I was blogging, maybe. But I wasn't doing this. This has been three and a half years to four years at this time. Yeah. At this point. So I don't know. Who knows? You could be a YouTuber for 10 years. But is it probable? I don't know. So I think five years is a perfect uh, estimate there. And yeah, there are a lot of things where I'm like, oh, this is so stupid. I really want to automate this. But I only do it like once a month. Yeah. So, so, so it's, it's not, not really worth it. <laughs> worth it. You'd just be like... Maybe if you like the challenge of automating it, then it has yeah. different benefits. But just for the sake of efficiency, it wouldn't add up. Yeah. Oh, this is in the... Oh, Evernote has its own browser. I did not realize that. Yeah. But some things are definitely very useful. 
So to round this episode out, um, I wanted to just throw out a few ideas that I had for things that you could automate. And right. I don't know if you have ideas as well. Um, one of the things that has helped me a lot, and this has helped me even since I was a student, was getting a clipboard manager. And I still find it weird that you don't have one. I have never needed it. I, I just do not get it. But a clipboard manager basically gives your clipboard, which is your copy and paste mechanism, a history. So without it, you copy something, you can paste that. But the moment you copy something else, no matter what it is, you can no longer paste the previous item. And maybe this is just really important to me because I'm a content creator. And maybe I'm just like disproportionately judging its importance. But a lot of times I will copy maybe a URL that I want to reference later, but then I need to copy a picture or something like that. Well, if I copy a picture, now the URL would be obliterated. Yeah. But with the Clipper Manager, I can just do a little hotkey, bring up my history, and then choose the thing I wanted. Uh, and the one I use on Windows is called Clipboard Help Plus Spell. And I think it's free. Um, it's like a donation website. So if you wanted to, you could donate to get a key forever. Otherwise, it's like... Every six months, you log in and just verify that you remember that we're a site and we give you a key for another six months of free okay. use. So I think I ended up like donating 10 bucks to them one time just to get the key for or the, yeah, the key forever because it just, it makes my life better. Yeah. Um, and then on that note, text snippets are also very useful for me. So I have a program on my Mac called A-Text and then I think Clipboard Help Plus Spell can actually do this on Windows as well where there's just things I have to type quite often. And I don't want to type them all that often. So I just make a little template in the text snippet area, and then I can hit a hotkey, and boom, there it is. Hmm. That would have been a decent way to handle like yeah. the podcast templates and stuff as well, if you mm-hmm. didn't know how to or want to build some weird backend thing to do it. Yeah, and from a less like, cool. professional point of view, in the iPhone, um, and I'm guessing you can do this with Android too, you can go into the keyboard settings, and then there are templates or um, I forget what they're called, like shortcuts, I think. And you can set up keywords that will oh, auto fill yeah. out a shortcut. So you could you could set up um, OMW is what I have for on my way. So if somebody is asking me, you know, when are you going to get here? And I'm on my way. I just OMW. It'll just expand it into a full mm-hmm. thing. Huh, I've never done or, that. you know, for one at one point, and I had to take medication every night for something. And I didn't want to have to text. Don't forget to take your pill every single time. So I just that I just bind that to a pill because it's something I'm probably never going to text that often Fair. in a different context. And if you do, it just, it brings it up as one of those suggestions. So oh, if you hit space, okay. it's going to fill it out. Cool. And if you don't, you can just hit X. Cool. And you're good to go. Um, templates. So we recommend Todoist as the task management app of choice for most students. I know we use Asana for a lot of our team stuff, but Personally, Todoist is my main workhorse for when I'm like working on a video project or if it's just a work day and I need to like make a giant list of tasks, I'll do it in Todoist. Okay. So I just, what I learned recently is you can do uh, nested projects in Todoist. So you can do nested tasks, which is my way of doing subtasks. Well, you could do nested projects as well. So now I just have a folder called templates and whenever I have a really... Um, big complex repeated process. I'll make a template out of it and I'll put it in that template folder and then I can just export and then import for new projects. So I can't hope to imagine what kind of work everyone listening to this is doing. Yeah, who but knows? for me, the example is YouTube videos. There's all these things I have to do every single time and now I won't forget to do them. Yeah. You know, maybe you're like a freelance web designer and you want to make sure run my code through a code validator uh, run my code through a compressor so it's more fast or stuff like oh, that. Yeah, I've got tons of code automation going on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and then for the most part, just just be looking at individual parts of your process and ask yourself, how could I do that better? Yeah. Or how could I compress that into one step? Could I do some legwork now that just makes this super easy in the future? Yeah, and another way to look at this, because automation, like, it has technology vibes to it. It's got that context. Mm-hmm. But... Another way to look at it is sort of in, it's reducing overhead. You're in, you're improving the UX, the user experience yes. of your life. So mm-hmm. like, I do this in my in my apartment for cleaning and organizing stuff. 
Like I've got a little, I got tired of being like, okay, where did I put my keys? Where did I put all my stuff? There's nowhere good to put these. I lose them. So now I have a little basket that's like, um, command Velcroed to the wall that I drop everything in. That's a little thing that reduced the overhead of me forgetting where I put stuff because Mm -hmm. it's always there. Or I got tired of bringing hand towels all the way to the laundry from the kitchen. So now I have two stacked baskets, the bottom one holding clean towels, and then the top one holds the dirty towels. And then I take the top one and I just dump it in the washer at the end of the day. So it's like, and also deleting. I got rid of tons of stuff because there's the overhead of sorting through all your pots and pans. But now I'm like, well, now I only have like the four I use. The overhead is gone because I can just grab it. I don't have to like, I grab it and then I hope that an avalanche doesn't happen. (laughs) Because that's what happens when you when those... you get the full kit. It's there's like thirty pans in there. It's like the infomercials where they're advertising some new Tupperware system. And there's always a shot of the lady or the guy opening the cabinet. Just like yeah. an avalanche. If of you just have fewer down. things, first of all, that doesn't happen. Yep. So a lot of this is like. <laughs> so don't get attached to the word automation and and think it's only computers. Yes. You can improve the the UX of everything through either simplifying or organizing, and it's just. You can improve everything this way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, man, that's a good idea with the towels. I didn't think about that. Yeah, I I, I get yeah. really annoyed about little things like that. Like, mm-hmm. I shouldn't have to walk all the way over there, so I'm going to fix it. But yeah. I, I, I won't fix it in any way that's more complicated. It has to be simple. Yeah. It cannot be more difficult somehow or mm-hmm. make everything look worse. It's Yeah, it's got to be elegant. Don't somehow. let complicated things into your life if you don't have to. Yeah, I got, like, those headphone hooks in the walls. Now I don't have to pull them out of a drawer. Yeah, good to go. And when I used to do my whiteboard animations on the wall, I had the same thing. I had a little cup Velcro to the wall and all my little markers were in there. But now I have the whole overhead lighting set up. Yeah. One thing that I wanted to bring up is something that was mentioned in that cooked documentary we watched. Oh, Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Episode two on pot cooking had that that lady who used to work at Chez Panisse and she was teaching Michael Pollan how to do like braising and stuff like that. And she had this little segment where she was talking about you just have to kind of get yourself into a mindset where the little mundane tasks like chopping garlic or picking herbs are no longer tedious chores, but they're an enjoyable part of the process. Yes. I think one problem, um, and I notice a pattern of this where like people who have a really engineering type mindset, they they sort of like shift from where I used to be, which was automate everything Let's literally make everything like it was in Wally, so I can just sit on a hover chair all the time. Yeah, and then you sort of have this this mindset shift where you realize, oh wow, I've automated all the little tedious parts out of my life, but now I'm just kind of like bored. I've automated my usefulness <laughs> away from me. Exactly. Yeah. So don't automate yourself into a, a point where like you literally only have to sit on your butt all the time, and you can just clap your lights on, and you can clap your TV on, and you can order food because. I don't know, ordering takeout every night is a pretty clever automation, but it makes you less healthy and it robs you well, of the joy of cooking yeah, and all these things. Some of the small tasks are what, yeah. that's what life is made up of. And if you take all of them away, then you've just like, what do you, you just yeah. sit there and watch everything do stuff by itself now? So I don't know what the rule of thumb here is for balance because I, I kind of want to say like, Ask yourself, do you hate this task? And if so, automate it. Or if not, just do it. But I would have said, you know, six months ago that I hate chopping garlic. Yeah. But it doesn't mean I'm going to go buy a garlic press. There's a balance between learning to be present-minded when doing something. Yeah. And then saying, I don't need to do this at all. When you're making money off of it, when it's for work, it's really easy to make that calculation because you're like, well, this is efficient. So I guess the question is, is the act of not automating a certain thing does it does it bring benefits with it? I would say that chopping garlic brings benefits with it because buying the pre-diced or pre-minced stuff in the jar from the store is gross. Yeah, fresh garlic is infinitely better, so it is worth chopping it. Whereas and bringing dirty towels all the way across the apartment brings nothing good. It's there's, not worth it. There's no point in not fi- fixing that. Yeah. So maybe that's the rule of thumb. Does the automation take away from the quality that you get from the process? Yeah. Or can you build an automation that perfectly replicates the manual process and brings all the quality along with it yeah i'm sure there's plenty of parts of cooking that like right now i don't butcher my own chickens and i'm kind of okay with that that would be inefficient you know? and also maybe kind it would of be higher quality but i don't know it probably isn't 
but I can definitely point to chopping my own garlic and be like, okay, that's fresher, much higher quality and has the texture I want and everything. So I'm going to do it. Yeah. Basically efficiency is nice, but remember that we don't live to be efficient. Exactly. So I think that about does it, right? Yeah. It's everything that I had on here. My biggest point is that like, because I don't have a lot of the most blatant automation in my personal life. I have it for work because I program, I automate everything. Yeah. But for my apartment, it's mostly been, I like to keep it organized and clean. Mm -hmm. Let's reduce the overhead. My automation is really just simplification so that things stay clean by themselves. Yeah, exactly. That's that's about it. Yeah. I I think I wanted the robot in the thumbnail and I wanted like the how to automate your life. But I really think that the message is just ask yourself whether or not there's a better way. Yeah. So, because I noticed this a lot in my internship. There was a lot of people who never asked that. They just would spend years doing the yes. same uh, thing. I guess I have to click this button 80 times. Yeah. You just resign to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's not necessarily like bad. Like if you love clicking that button eight times a day and that's fulfilling in your life, then sure. But I don't know. It just irked me back then. It's just like... There's clearly a better way well, to do this. A lot of those people are complaining about the process at the same time, and they yeah. could you could bring yourself more joy by making it more efficient. That's true. Yeah, you definitely could. Anyway, uh, this is episode 194, so you can find the show notes for this episode at cigpodcast.com slash 194, or if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll, as always, find that link down in the description below, so definitely check that out. We will have links to some of the programs we mentioned. We will have links to that cooked documentary, uh, to Todoist and all sorts of other cool stuff. So definitely check those out. And you can also find our favorite resources for improving your student life in many different ways, apps, books, gear that we love and recommend over at collegeofbogeek.com slash resources. So check that out. Thanks for listening as always, and we will see you in the next episode. Thank you. <laughs>